The automobile is one of the most important inventions that revolutionized the modern world. In America, the rich history of car culture runs deep as technology continues to shape the future of the industry. Jason Stein, former publisher of Automotive News, is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars, from industry leaders and innovators to car-obsessed celebrities. Buckle up as Jason takes you inside the boardroom, onto the track, and around the bend on Cars and Culture on Sirius XM Business Radio. Welcome to Cars and Culture. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit. More than 18 months ago, we set out to document something very unique for the SiriusXM audience. The mission was simple. We wanted to record the culture behind the car. We wanted to hear from the people who love them, race them, designed them, sang about them, and built businesses as a result of them. Cars and culture. A straightforward mission wrapped around passion, affection, devotion, and adoption. What we've heard over the last 18 months have been unimaginable stories from people with fascinating tales to tell. If anything, our introduction to more than 80 guests, actors, CEOs, comedians, movie producers, racers, has highlighted what we thought to be true. The car world is filled with fascinating people from all walks of life. They all have one thing in common. They care about the automobile. Throughout this journey, the stories have been rich and the personalities have been dynamic. For the next two weeks, we'll highlight several key interviews from this past year, pulling together clips from the best of the best. And in this Best of Cars and Culture episode, you'll hear from Formula One boss, Stefano Domenicali, as well as Clay Dean, Under Armour's Chief Innovation Officer, and Amelia Hartford, YouTuber and now Hollywood actor. F1 CEO, clothing designer, burgeoning actress. It's a microcosm of the stories told on Cars and Culture each week. We hope you enjoy them as much as we enjoy reliving them. And now, my conversation with F1 CEO, Stefano Domenicali. We begin our conversation with a question about the turnaround of Formula One, especially in America. And now we see the results, because at the end of the day, you know, we are going back with the people. Uh, we have, Formula One is even an incredible success. There's no doubt, you can see the, sig the signal of uh, the full crowd that we live everywhere we go. The, the interest and the numbers that we are seeing today on the media, on TV, on, on network, on social media, on radio, on podcast. I mean, it, it's massive. We have a new, new, new way of, of a new, new, sorry, new fans, uh, more female getting into the business, younger audience, uh, new continents uh, really approaching Formula One. So that's a state of health that is uh, incredibly strong now. It's incredibly strong. And two years ago, Stefano, just prior to you taking the job, there were some who were really writing Formula One off as as uh, as a failure, that it was boring, that it didn't have any interesting um, uh, drivers, that uh, that most races were very predictable. And two years later, now everything's changed. It's yeah. remarkable. I think it's remarkable, and I think that we need to give the credit to to, to Chase Carey. Uh, to Ross Brown, to Greg, of course, as a vision uh, to make that happen. And at that moment, I think that the strategy of liberty was the right one. There was the need of a, of a discontinuity to make sure that the, the, we were able to create the right foundation for a better future. And now we are, we are building a business that is strong because there is uh, attention to all the different uh, elements of the business. If you think that on the sporting side, we were pushing through, of course, the FIA, uh, to have different cars with a different regulation to enable the drivers who are represent our jewels basically to fight closer. And now you see that mission has been accomplished because the cars are really able to stay close together. They can offer great show, uh, great fights on the track. I have to say up to now, and that was one point that was really relevant to bring back the passion on the track uh, to keep the enthusiasm there. Second point. Budget cap. Budget cap was an incredible success because we were able, uh, since uh, well, the life of Formula One, to cap the technical expenditure in order to basically try to make sure that uh, in in the shorter term as possible, all the teams can really compete uh, uh, very closely. And we see that uh, that is happening. Of course, the magnitude between the first and the second is still in certain places a little bit higher, but we are definitely sure that this, this gap will be shortened up in a, in a, in a quicker time. And, and by giving that, we gave the sustainability to the teams in terms of financials, uh, because if you connect to the control of the cost with the high revenue that we're bringing in, directly and indirectly, 
I mean, that gives the, 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 the landscape we are giving, that we are living today. And if you look on the other things, partnership and sponsorship, you never saw so many incredible brands of all the different categories in, investing in Formula One with us and also with the teams. So that means that financially, the teams can look ahead in a different position, a stronger position. Then if you look at the way that we have, a, we were able to connect with different narratives, with different categories, with different languages, with a different audiences, and, and uh, open up the way to talk about for one with different way. I mean, that was another way to, to, to say that uh, successfully, we are very inclusive. And, and now the demand of uh, talking about Formula One is not only through the avid fans, it's also with people that uh, get in touch with us since uh, a short time, and they're really interested with on certain subjects that maybe are not so technical, but in any case, they're talking about Formula One. And then there are promoters. Promoters means uh, uh, countries or, or government that really through Formula One wants to develop the platform. And we see that today, you know, we never been in such a situation where we need to really decide where to go because the request is so big that we really need to, you know, decide where to go. But that's, it's a great opportunity because, you know, we are pushing the right way in order to promote better the sport. And this is something that uh, uh, will, will happen and, 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 and will give the chance to also the, let's say, with all respect, old-fashioned promoters, to, to wake up and making sure that they do the better business. Otherwise, you know, in this context, you know, the, the, the worst will be left behind. And if I can say, cutting across transversally, we can really apply our new values to the systems because uh, we are very strong in our sustainability program that will involve all the teams, all the stakeholders, all the manufacturers, all the promoters. We are really pushing in order to make sure that, uh, you know, the community in terms of diversity, in terms of helping, you know, the, the less uh, lucky community can be part of our program. So there are so many things that are important, uh, and I would say are the key of the success we are living today. Well, in Formula One for years, for decades, was exclusive, not inclusive. And then a little show came around that pulled the the ro- open open the curtains and pulled the ropes back, and it it's called Drive to Survive. And it gave a global audience the opportunity to look behind the scenes, to see some of the stories, to, to realize the personalities, to talk about the, the, um, the struggling teams who were trying to make it, to talk about the successful teams who were, trying to, who were fighting each other. And all of a sudden now, boom, the world knew more about Formula One, its drivers, and the demographic, to your point, Stefano, changed completely. You had 20-something women who wanted to know when the next race was going to be held. I mean, this is the one phenomenon that you did not mention that I think has had an enormous impact, especially in America. You agree? 100%. I totally agree. And and I think that uh, I would have mentioned before in the way that we were able to cut the different narratives to different audience. That was the point. And that mm-hmm. is, it helped tremendously, with no doubt about it. And as always, there are... Uh, fathers of the project that belongs to Liberty. It was Sean Bratches that within Chase Carey pushed that project along. And uh, at the beginning, we had some teams that were not uh, really happy to be involved in that. Now it's the other way around because they understand, they understand, they have understood the power of, of being able to get closer to a different community of, 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 of fans. And, and that is true. We see that the magnitude of that is, is immense. Uh, you, you're right. I mean, U.S. that opened up the way to see what is behind the scene. We have a problem, if I may say, that is uh, our jewels or our heroes wear helmets, gloves, overall. They are in a car with a halo that is difficult to see even the eyes. And therefore, it was important to uh, make sure that the people understood that behind that there are boys so far, but will be also girls in the community already now, but even soon, hopefully with the driving on the, on the driving overall, that are living a, an incredible life. And so it's really important to show what is really behind the scene, as you said. Therefore, I think that's the right way to make sure that we, we, we explain who we are and what is behind our, let's say, our, our official face that sometimes for someone can be seen as a mask. It is not. But also, of course, behind you, you will discover that there are thousands of people working to make sure that show uh, in form of Formula One to be successful and great. 
Yeah, we had Sean as a guest on this show, and he talked about the, the, the change in philosophy that occurred and the fact that drivers could have a lot more independence and they could have social media accounts and they could, they could really be out there from a marketing standpoint. And clearly, um, the, the accelerator has been pushed on that, on that aspect of it. There is such a close connection now, uh, the following, the allegiance to certain drivers globally. Um, you're a Lewis guy or you're a Max guy or you're a Daniel guy. I mean, that, that has to be, as a marketer, that, that, that almost has to be the epitome of exactly what you want. Um, the, you know, the NFL has been successful at that. Other leagues, other big leagues have done the same. Do you agree? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, uh, and, and I have to say, on that respect, the American market is, is teaching us a lot of things. Mm. Uh, of course, uh, American leagues or American sport uh, have different philosophy. Uh, but at the end of the day, there has to be the attention to the human being, to the sport itself. And, 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 and you need to learn from that in order to develop that also in other places, in other countries, where maybe... The culture is uh, it's, uh, is following another direction, and this is another opportunity to develop also worldwide. And I think that is really the intention that we want to take. And therefore, that experience has been massively important for us in order to understand that there is a huge potential that through that uh, has enabled us to get in touch with a lot of different people and a lot of different partners. It's entertainment, right? We have to remember at the end of the day, this you know sport is is entertainment. Sport is the biggest thing, I would say, we can see from one as the most incredible entertainment of the motorsport dimension. Yeah. It's, it's a place where we have not only the technological, the technical challenge, the sporting challenge, but we need to run a show. We're in to run something where mm. people need to have excitement. If you take away that passion, in terms of dimension, forget it. It's a research and development. It's not anymore motorsport. <laughs> That's different. You know, if a research and development, of course, uh, you, you, you can be also very happy to do that, but it's not really what we are doing. It's part of the equation, uh, of course, on, on, on that respect. But, you know, uh, if you take away the, the, the emotion that the motorsport is giving, is entertainment. Therefore, we need to focus. And we, this is what we are doing today. I mean, the, 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 the events that we are... <clears throat> organizing together with our promoters, it's for sure Formula One. It's for sure Formula Three and Formula, th and Formula Two that belong to our pyramid of the growth of, of, uh, of arriving in Formula One. But there is uh, events organized at the track where there will be music, there will be entertainment, there will be a fun zone when you can really be a live experience that has to be unique for all, everyone that is attending to come back again. Somebody told me that the Miami Grand Prix um this spring was a uh, was a party that happened to have a uh, race involved uh, with it as a as a side event. <laughs> so, is that accurate? It, I would say <laughs> Miami was insane. To use the right word, in, uh, I think with the American uh, with American uh, meaning, insane in terms of uh, gigantic. Everyone wanted to be there. That's the place to be. That was the the, the statement that everyone was saying that, that in that respect. But the beauty of that was an event that uh, was not only the track around the Dolphin Stadium. It was an event uh, uh, that was uh, basically breathing, was, was around the city, on Miami Beach, in all the restaurants, in all the places, in all the hotels, in the center uh, of the city, there was something connected to that race. And to, to receive from the American community that that event was bigger than Super Bowl, you can understand what does it mean. Yeah. For us, it's an incredible achievement and accomplishment and that gives us the dimension and the responsibility to do to, to, to make sure that the, the next one is even better, not only bigger, better. And that's really the way that we want to tackle the, the, not only the American market, but all the events that we are organizing so far. Success for Formula One has always been elusive. I'm sitting in downtown Detroit, and in 1982, I was on the streets of Detroit when the Formula One cars were uh, uh, racing around and it lasted a few years, but then ultimately uh, faded out. I was also in Indianapolis when they tried at the Speedway there and it didn't work. There's been other attempts at Watkins Glen. Why has Formula One not worked in the past? Well, uh, for, I would say, three main reasons, in my opinion. The first, we were not consistent in our communication and, and, and content uh, throughout the year in U.S., so we were there for three years in, uh, in the year, 
for the for the event and then switch off so the light was off so no content no explanation no continuity uh, no right partners and no will to understand that was the a must for us to, to grow and on that i think that uh, we are doing that and and we see the success second of course uh, the, the 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 need of being present with the sport that is uh, easy to understand and to explain you know we know that we say that with all respect the american sport are quite uh, exclusive to that market and and to come in uh, is not easy therefore there is the need of uh, explaining who we are what we are bringing in in terms of sport value in terms of technological value but also in terms of te entertainment level and i think that we are doing that in the right way third of course investing with our uh, with our partners in order to develop the sport not only during the event but also create festivals create a moment of communication and of course i think that is we cannot deny netflix gave the last boost together with uh, with our media partner espn that did an incredible job to 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 take that responsibility in a period where you 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 are right i mean 3 years ago we were in austin thinking well unfortunately uh, with not great numbers and thinking do we need to stay do we need to give up the american market and now we have uh, hmm. this year grand prix next year we're going to have a three grand prix and the inter the interest in us is booming so this i think is the equation that is is taking us for a great success we're living today last july i sat down with under armor's chief innovation officer clay dean the former gm advanced designer I started our conversation with a question about the design process at Under Armour and how it differs from his time as a car designer. I would say first off that the design, the creativity process for footwear and apparel is the same um, compared to what I would see. I mean, the, the process you use, the type of, uh, that you would go to, to find ideas, so similar. I mean, people have asked me, wow, you're in Under Armour. How is that even compared to the automotive industry? It's like, well, the outcome is a different product, but the process is so similar um, because you're working with trends, customer insights, uh, preferences, materials, you're creating a 3D item, you're doing prototyping. Um, and so I would say it's rigorous in a couple of ways because um, you're looking for comfort, number one, which in, in, a, in a garment is different than riding in a car, right? Comfort in a car is very, very different than a shirt you wear or running shorts you wear. And for athletes, we're trying to build product that helps them to excel. You know, Under Armour, we talk a lot about Under Armour makes you better. Whether you're a golfer or a swimmer or runner or a basketball player, we wanna make sure we're creating product that unlocks your potential. Um, be very similar to, you know, a company like Porsche saying, we're gonna unlock your ability to be a great driver because we're gonna create a great vehicle and, and it's gonna allow you to really express your um, uh, talents on the track. We say that same thing. So because of that, we'll spend a lot of time in testing on our high performance product um, we'll test a lot. We'll test with hundreds of athletes and we'll make sure that we're creating something that they don't get injured in because footwear especially is a big story. Um, we're also testing around sustainability right now because sustainability in the apparel industry is a, is a big deal. So in some places, it's a lot more rigorous. In other places, it's pretty fast. And I'm sure as a car designer, you drove all kinds of vehicles in order to see what the lay of the land was. So are you wearing all kinds of different clothing now as a comparative um, set? I think I always did. You know, I, I mean, it, it's funny. No, you're a sneaker guy, but I, I love sneakers. I, I think when we were moving from Michigan to here, you know, we lived in a house for 17 years and you think, oh man, I'm not, I'm not a hoarder. I think I'm a collector, but where did all these shoes come from? Right? And so <laughs> I had a, I think I probably had 300 pair of sneakers, you know, that I'd collected. 300. Over 300, um, which is not a proud thing to talk about. Um, but they were all very collectible items and, and they're very cool and they're very designers love things, right? And, uh, designers collect a lot of things, whether it be books or bikes or sneakers or watches. Um, but I've always been intrigued by design of things. And so that was the one thing that has been always around me. And so I've always kind of bought things. I always kind of have, have, have kind of tried to be athletic in my career and try to work out and run and bike and, and so I've always been exposed to the products in the industry, but today um, I probably, me and several other folks inside of the company, we, we do a lot of running. It's, a, it's an area that we're expanding our company to really grow big in. And so I spend a lot of time buying other product and running in lots of product just so I can understand it and have kind of an empathetic ear to what it is. 
um, as we go forward and we work with our team. So you, you're always intrigued by somebody else who's done something better. We're benchmarking a lot in our, in our proof. We call our, our testing center is called the proving grounds and we tear things apart. Just like General Motors years ago used to have a place we called the Mona Lisa. If you remember, mm -hmm. tear down cars, you look at things, cut cars in half, try to understand, you know, the best practices that might be around the world. We do the same thing here. So we will tear shoes apart. We will tear apparel apart. We'll test the snot out of it to try to understand who's the best in the benchmarking and then do our best to be better in, in every instance. Well, in fact, uh, it should be noted, going back to the um, uh, sneaker side of the, of the world, that your H3T design concept was actually fitted with tires that had tread patterns inspired by Nike shoes. <laughs> that is true. It was actually designed with Nike as a partner. Wow. And so, you know, every, if you, if you really digest every part of a car, you could really, you can get deep into the woods. And when we look at tires, I mean, think about tires and their design element of a tire. Think of the first Goodyear Gator back. You remember that whole design that was very, very unique in its design, the Yokohama A008, you know, which was this almost like a bald outer surface with some depth holes and the tread was on the inside. Tires can have a very distinctive personality that, that, that speaks to people, all-terrain TAs, mud-terrain TAs. We had, when we were doing the Hummer, we were doing all sorts of things. And we said, you know, off-road tires could really be a place we could dive into and really do something elaborate because hiking shoes have, they call out color, they call out patterns and, and capabilities. And we thought, wouldn't that be a fun place to kind of dive deep and explore? I wonder if BFG would, would be interested in doing that. And they were. And then when we talked to Nike, had good friends there, they said, ah, that'd be a fun project. Let's, let's, let's go in on it. And it led to other things inside the vehicle. And um, it was actually very fun. We had Nike designers in the Hummer studio. We had design, Hummer designers in the Nike studios. And um, it was a great learning experience to see uh, what, what details stood out to teams and what could we learn from each other. Let's talk about that benchmarking. How are the data sets that you use to determine under Armour products different than automotive data? Well, that's a good question. Big, big differences, right? Depending mm -hmm. on the type of product you're designing. Um, we'll spend a lot of time, for instance, in footwear, we will spend a lot of time on underfoot cushioning, you know, fit and comfort are big, big stories. Depending on the product that you're designing, you have different dynamics, different metrics. So for instance, in a running shoe, you're looking at, and there's trends that are happening all the time, just the same way there are trends happening in the automotive space where movements to SUVs or fastback SUVs or movements to um, upright front ends on trucks. Um, in footwear, there's the same type of trends that are happening. And for running shoes, for instance, we will, we will define cushioning, what it feels like to underfoot cushioning. Does it feel soft and comfortable? But at the same time, you need to counter that with... Um, energy coming out of it. So does it propel me? Does it move forward? There is motor, there is racing in the running space. You think of athletes wow. at the Olympics. And so um, we will spend time, we have several um, Olympic runners that are on Under Armour's team. We work very, very closely with them, designing product to help them actually run faster. And so we will measure energy out of, we'll measure oxygen uptake of what the, 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 the runners are running in so we can understand um, is this really helping them with their energy moving forward? So it's it's different metrics. We will look at softness. You know, think about people talk a lot about um, hand touch with with leathers or other fabrics. That's a very subjective uh, place to be. You know, you might touch uh, an Alcantara steering wheel and say it has something. We talk hand feel, right? So we've been spending a lot of time digitizing what hand feel really means, so it becomes predictable over a longer period of time. And so, because you want to have fabrics that are soft to the touch, very comfortable, very inviting, they feel rich and, um, and luxurious. Whether it's a, a, sh a shirt you're working out in the gym or, um, or something that uh, you're just going to wear every day casually, there's a feel that you want to have because it looks a certain way. Well, we'll also look at, uh, we have a lot of metrics that get into how does it draw moisture away from your skin to create a comfort environment? How does it create environments, microenvironments next to skin to the apparel? So we have several areas that we, that we measure and spend a lot of time with that are constantly moving and changing based on how technology is allowing us to move forward with fibers. In our, within our team, we've got a pre-textile team that essentially is working with um, biopolymers and polymers and yarn-based and fiber-based stories to create the materials we, we use. So 
it's pretty, it's, it's a deeper, it's a deeper space to be in than where the world that I came from. It's a little different than just thinking about my old white t-shirt, right? <laughs> it is, but it's funny. Sometimes I got a drawer of old white t-shirts and it's just nice for all the nice ones I've got. It's like, man, I just like this old beefy t-shirt. Right. Pretty good. Right? It's on the moment. With a lot less technology in it. But yes. speaking of technology, and you just referenced this, the, the, the Mach 39, right, gave American speed skaters hopefully an advantage. And in fact, um, what you were looking to do, you have said, is to get the body to be more aerodynamic than in its natural state. That's pretty high sci-fi stuff here, Clay. It is. It is. And what's even cooler about those, those speed skating suits, and we're getting ready to work on the next generation for the next Olympics. You know, think about how a skater skates most of the time. So when you think about apparel, um, you, you kind of tailor it and design it to look a certain way, right? But if you look at how a speed skater is functioning 85% of the time, he's leaned forward, crouched down, and bent to the left. And if we design that, that speed suit standing straight up normally, that when he got down into that space, he would feel awkward. So the suit was designed and tailored not only to make him more aerodynamic and to reduce friction inside next to skin, but it was designed to be the most comfortable when he was lean forward, lean to the left and down and crouched. That was the most comfortable space for the uniform. So when he stood up normally, it was not comfortable. They almost felt like they were in a, you know how when you sit down and your, your suit becomes very relaxed and kind of crumply and strange, uh, or it becomes very scrunched and you feel uncomfortable, but when you stand sure. up, drapes is fine. We were the exact opposite. And mm -hmm. so it was a paradigm shift of how you would um, design um, a suit for speed skaters. Very exciting. And um, it just forced you to think differently. Um, and then, and because it does unlock their, their capabilities. And we, and all of our skaters, majority of them sent PRs in those, in those suits. So they were faster with the suit than previous suits. Well, and one of your athletes um, whom you worked with and on the innovation and uh, design team just won an NBA title again. And uh, Curry Flow 8, which was conceived out of a desire uh, to really give athletes like Steph Curry um, uh, peak performance, competitive mindset, things of that nature. What have you learned through your relationship with um, Steph Curry? Um, that's a good question. He's a, he's an amazing guy to work with, by the way, super personable. What you see on what you see on TV is real. He's that mm. genuinely nice of a gentleman, a guy. Um, look, he we sat down with him when we first started that project and we said, tell us what you need. You know, how do you play? What are the things you're hunting for? And he had a phrase and he says, it's all, it's all about the squeak. And we said, what are you talking about? And he says, you, you, you think about basketball shoes on court, they squeak, 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 squeak. And so his entire career, he had played and you kind of know where you're at based where the squeaks are going. And I said, well, you know, that squeaking is squeaking is losing, don't you? And he goes, what are you talking about? And he's like, he's a big car guy. He's had GT3s and Audi, you know, A8, R8s. Uh, and I says, well, what is it? when a tire is spinning and making noise, what's going on? He says, well, it's just not going anywhere. Well, that's what your sneakers are doing. You're sliding. So right. squeaking is sliding. Because he, he told us another thing. He said, if you guys just give me a second, just give me one second on the court that he's in control, then I can get a shot off. Because usually I can stop faster or accelerate quicker and the other guy will fly past me. And if you watched, and there's so many instances when that exactly happened. And so the solution that we came up with working with some great partners was a sneaker that had no rubber anymore in the bottom. And it was a great concoction of lots of materials that all of a sudden it had a stick that was never mind. We were designing, we initially were designing this for a running shoe. And then we, we kind of ended up on a basketball court. It's like, holy crap, what is this doing? This is, are we focused in the right place? And when we gave it to him the first time after he told us what he was hunting for, his eyes got huge because not only was it sticky and had great appearance, it was, it was quiet. Mm -hmm. And he says, oh, I'd be like a ninja. No one wouldn't hear me coming. And um, every solution since. So, so that was the Curry 8. We're now working on the Curry 12 internally in the innovation team and continuing to advance the story. And he's just, he's hungry for new developments. For him, it's extending his career. And he says, I'll be 34 and flying. When we did these shoes, he says, I'm going to be 34 and flying. And uh, sure enough, he is. And four times. Oh, he's flying. He is flying. <laughs> and he's not squeaking. No, he's not squeaking. So you've eliminated the squeak in basketball shoes. I mean, this is revolutionary. <laughs> it's pretty cool. And, and look, the, the last big, I mean, there are probably, you can kind of walk back like in any industry and find these pivotal moments when innovation kind of move forward. 
And Chuck Taylor was when rubber was put on a shoe back in 1927. And probably when air showed up in the eight in the eighties with kind of crosstown rivals. Um, and now this one, it's a pivotal movement. And what's great is we have players in the NBA playing in these shoes now that uh, they're not under armor athletes. They just want to play in the shoe because it's a great performing product. It's amazing in many ways. You're working on wearable data delivery devices to help athletes, um, whether they're professional or not professionals, right? Is that something you see transferring to automobiles in the near future? Sure. I think when I was back in the automotive space, especially if we think about autonomous vehicles in the future, that if we we believe that autonomous taxis are going to be a big story, who's monitoring what's going on inside the vehicle with people? You know, what are they, what's what's happening? Are they, are they in a health challenge or an issue or where things are at? We can monitor what's going on. Um, Digital data is very valuable. Um, because it's how you can serve the customer and be able to create a better product or a better experience overall. And so a lot of our data that we used on the footwear space is meant to create a better product in the future. How can I create a better shoe? A lot, we've had connected footwear for, uh, since I think 2015 here, where it, it literally can coach you and monitors your run, your speed, your distance, you know, uh, foot position, ground contact. And allows us to kind of understand how are you running, give you some, some tips on how to run better, more efficiently, and coach you, and, and help you to enjoy the experience of running better. But we can also take that information, and then also tell you when your shoe's about worn out, right? Everything has a life uh, a lifespan of what it when it's kind of done, and we can um, help to alert you when, when you need to get another pair of shoes. Very much like in-vehicle health monitor that a lot of cars have today. It'll mm-hmm. tell you if something's going to fail before it fails, or if you need some type of service. So I see the future inside of connected apparel and connected footwear clearly will we will continue to develop there. It's nascent, you know, it's not full tilt. It's still a little bit clunky because of the technologies that are here, but at some point it will be a story. So you mentioned earlier working ahead five, six, seven years on advanced design at General Motors. How many years do you work ahead in the clothing industry? Great question. It's different. You know, believe it or not, it takes almost two years to design a shoe. You know, really? you start from ground zero with first, and that's just an inline shoe. And part of it's how we sell and how you ship and where things are managed and, and the go-to-market process. Um, we try to be, you know, we'll look at things in, tra- in tranches of say two to two to three, three to six, six to 10. Um, if you're getting into fibers and new polymer development for, for materials, you're kind of out there in a certain way. We're working on some stories. Um, and sometimes it just takes time to mature something. You have to manufacture it a new way. We've got some footwear stories right now in the cleated space that would essentially necessitate a complete reimagining of how you build product. So there's not an existing manufacturing process for it. So you're gonna have to go and actually create the manufacturing process to do the shoes you're actually doing. That one, it might be three years out or so, but on the average, uh, since the inline model is probably two years out, we're two to three and beyond is where we stand in this space. After the break, I'll continue our look back at 2022 on Cars and Culture. If you're a Springsteen fan, you just found the promised land. Hey, Hear rare interviews and performances. Live concerts. Is there anybody else? DJs. This is Rob Lowe. Hey, baby, it's little Steven here. And more exclusives when listening to Bruce Springsteen's channel. Welcome, Bruce Springsteen, to E Street Radio, your great, home away from home. Great to meet you. E Street Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 20. Hey, everybody, I'm Andy Cohen. Hear me and my awesome lineup on Radio Andy. Andy Cohen Live. Jeff Lewis Live. Smith Sisters Live. Reality Check. Revelations. Now with new shows. Yo King in the house. It's me, Tanks. The Jess Cagle Show. From pop culture, politics, music, to show-stopping moments. Jennifer Lopez. Lil Nas X. Lisa Kudrow. Jay Leno. Ricky Martin. Goldie Hawn. Kevin Hart. I'm bringing oops back. All this on Radio Andy. Sirius XM 102 and on the SXM app. 
Do you have concerns about your heart health? Yeah. We've got a doc for that. Have questions about men's health, women's health, and everyday health? Sure. We've got a doc for that. Really? Interested in improving your exercise and eating routine? Yeah. We've got a doc for that. Hmm. A nurse practitioner and a registered dietitian, too. Wow. Sirius XM's Doctor Radio. Your access to top doctors and health professionals every day. No copay, no appointment necessary. Sirius XM 110. Who knew? The automobile is one of the most important inventions that revolutionized the modern world in America. The rich history of car culture runs deep. Technology continues to shape the future of the industry. Jason Stein, former publisher of Automotive News, is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars. From industry leaders and innovators to car-obsessed celebrities. Buckle up as Jason takes you inside the boardroom, onto the track, and around the bend on Cars and Culture on Sirius XM Business Radio. Welcome back into Cars and Culture. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit. Now we'll continue our look back at some of the most influential interviews of 2022 on Cars and Culture. Last January, I interviewed YouTuber and social media influencer Emilia Hartford. We began my conversation with a discussion of her following and the growing attention to her work. Now my interview with Amelia Hartford, and we begin our talk with a question about her growing influence. I think just since day one, I've been very authentic to who I am. And I try to be very genuine, but also relatable. I mean, I think it's a trip for me to hear that I'm one of the leading female in the automotive space because I just, it's it's just, it's me. I'm just going to the garage and working on cars and I get to do what I love every day. Um, and I think people see that passion that I have and that drive and they see that I'm constantly, you know, trying to one up myself and what I did last time and constantly trying to push the boundaries. And, you know, as some people would say, breaking through that glass ceiling and really trying to show um, you know, the audience that I, I'm a big believer. in. if you just work hard for something, you can achieve your goals. And that, you know, luck is actually when hard work meets opportunity and, you know, putting in 10,000 hours to be an expert and all of that. I'm such a proponent of hard work and, you know, putting those blinders on and just going after whatever it is that you want. Um, and then I talk about that too. And I talk a lot about mental health and, and, and I really try to just, you know, life, life's hard. And I, I want to try to provide 20 minutes a, a couple times a week to have people smile and, and be involved in this greater family, which now I, I, I joke and I say E-crew because it's the Amelia crew now. I was going to say, you've taken the B to the E, right? <laughs> yeah, I have. Um, and yeah, I really, more than anything, just want to try to create this, this family, this supportive family online where, where people can, can talk about their builds and, and, and watch a build and be involved in it. Um, about three, four weeks ago, I was able to surprise my mom with her dream car. And I, saw that. I and then in the video I popped and I was joking, like, today's video is sponsored by and I was like, you guys at home. Because without you watching, I wouldn't be in this position that I am today. And I'm so incredibly grateful and thankful of everyone who watches. Um what did that mean to you? <laughs> the, the ability to be able to do that? It had to be everything, given the given the okay. pathway that you've been on. I was, I started crying before even giving my mom the key and she had no idea what she's like, what are you doing? Why are you crying right now? And she doesn't see me cry. Like I'm a very like non-emotional person most of the time. Um, and it was just, it meant so much to me. My dream has always been just to, you know, take care of her. So to be able to do that and put her up in a car, um, she just, all she kept saying was I never would have been able to afford the salary. And I was just like, I'm so, so incredibly happy that I'm able to do something for her um, that she deserves, that she couldn't do for herself. Tell the audience about the car that you bought her and why. <laughs> um, my mom's always wanted a Toyota RAV4. So I bought her a brand new one. I wish she had like the heated steering wheel because, you know, her hands get cold. Mine do too. Thanks, mom. Um, and the weather pack. And it was a, uh, it's all wheel drive hybrid because she lives in the snow and she wants to be conservative on on gas and and whatnot so yeah they even found it in her favorite color i recommend everyone watch the video but a little bit of a spoiler i had my brother take her out and go test drive a car that's uh, right it, and she a, thought that it was just just a normal test drive until yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. you dropped the keys on her <laughs> yeah i was like hey remember that car that you test drove a couple couple months ago well it's outside <laughs> so, yeah. amazing amazing do you, let's talk about the e-crew family uh, okay. what, a, what a young women say to you when they, when they reach out to you, I, I got to imagine it's an a, enormous outpouring of support that you get and questions and how can I do what you're doing? And, and you're a role model for me. I'm sure it's all the above, right? 
Yeah, it, and it's it's more than just women too. I'm I'm very. It's it'll always be a weird thing for me to hear that I inspire people and to do more, but I'll always be be humbled by that. Um, I I don't know. It'll, yeah, I I don't even know what to what to go Speechful. on and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> speeches is probably the, the worst. I never thought that I would be in this position of, of creating that type of, you know, um, I don't even know. What's been the most surprising element, I guess, of creating the channel and, and the following that, that has um, swirled around you? What's, what surprised you the most? How many people genuinely, I guess, care about, about me, you know, because like there was one point where I was in such a dark time in my life, and like I had the friends that were close to me, but n- never like I just have this incredible fan base that is so supportive and knows me honestly sometimes better than I even know myself. Um, and to be able to be an inspiration to people and have people reach out to me and tell me that, um, you know, their significant other was in the hospital in order to get through that pain, they were watching my videos. It's, it's it's un, it, it really is unbelievable. It leaves me speechless a lot sometimes. Wonderful. Let's talk about the acting side of it. You've had the chance to be in the Netflix series Fastest Car. Yeah. <laughs> as a drifter and not and not a drag racer, what was that like? That was an unbelievable opportunity, and I am so so thankful of of everyone in that that crew and and the other fellow drivers that I got to do my episode with. And it was such a welcoming experience. And for them to be interested in me telling my story and going out there. And that is definitely what inspired me to start getting more into drag racing. Um, I (laughs) had my LSS 14 and, and someone had connected me to do this show. And I mean, let's be honest, at the time it was like, it was a stock bot event LS and, and we had, my friends and I had thrown on heads in a cam like two nights before to try to hope that I would see a chance against like these thousand horsepower cars. And I was stoked that like, I was, I was able to get, uh, get the jump off the line. I was the quickest off the line. But then after that, it was no surprise that I just gotten taken, but everyone was awesome to work with. And I, I realized that maybe the drift car wasn't the best car to turn into a drag car. That's actually what inspired the 79 Buick Regal build. That was my grandma's car um, and brought that back to life. And and that was the drag car until I eventually picked up the C8. And I've just kind of gone down this rabbit hole of drag racing since. And the C8 it had to be an incredible feeling at the time. Oh, yeah. Breaking the record, right? When I bought that car, there's video of it somewhere. I said I was going to leave it stock. <laughs> I never, I, I believed it when I said it too, that I wasn't going to modify this car. And I bought it as a customer two years ago. I was calling dealerships, trying to just get my name on, on the wait list for one. And I, you know, I had no idea, you know, Chevrolet had no idea what I was going to do with this car. I know they believed in me from the beginning, but you know, it was, it was very unreal. And when I bought that car initially, um, I drove straight from Kentucky uh, to the West Coast and ended up stopping in Texas on the way to put a nitrous bottle on the car, go to the drag strip wow. to see if we could break what was the, the record at the time, which was actually really tangible because I'd gotten one of the, the first cars in America. Um, and I, we didn't break the record. We were like a few tenths of a second off, but I just got hooked. And I was like, all right, what are we doing next? We're going to twin turbo this car. We're going to try to figure out a tuning solution. And we're going to go out there. We're going to keep pushing. And we ended down this, this rabbit hole of, of C8 Corvette and constantly trying to push the boundaries of this car with an encrypted ECU that you can't tune um, and trying to, you know, find ways to trick the sensors and make the car happy. And, and <laughs> yeah, I got a lot of people were stoked. I actually kept the car because a lot of YouTubers ended up and, and builders in general ended up selling the the car because it was um, it was locked. Uh, so I know I stuck with it. It's one of my favorite cars today, and and we're still working on going back out there. Recently, the record um, I had held the record for about six months. Someone recently had taken that from me, and 
you know, I'm stoked for it because I was like, man, I, you know, it, it's fun when there's friendly competition. You know, I don't see this as cutthroat. I'm, we're behind the scenes. We're all helping one another. Like, oh, you did this. Well, we did this. And some people find different tuning solutions that work for them. And we're constantly in the background trying to help one another. So when they, when someone else breaks the record, it's like awesome because now we know that the platform's even more capable than what we thought it was, which only continues to push and drive us to try to get better and do better. It, it, the automotive world in, in that space is such an evolutionary thing, right? There, you never stop learning what you can do to these yeah. products. And I'm guessing that's something you didn't anticipate when you first got into it. Not at all. And a lot of people tell me they're surprised, we'll say, that I know so much about cars that I do, but I don't feel like I know that much because there's so much out there every day. I'm learning new so much things. To learn. There's so much to learn. It's, you know, and I think that's why I've stuck with cars as long as I have, because if I'm not learning, constantly learning, I get bored of things. And there's never been a day where I'm not learning something when I'm working on a car. <laughs> Let's talk about the content creation for the, for the channel and a little bit on that. How do you decide uh, and, and a lot of YouTubers are very strategic on which cars they buy because they want the most clicks and they have good ROI and things of that nature. How do you decide what you, how you build your content? You know, I would be lying if I didn't say in my mind, I was thinking about whether or not a car would do well. Sure. But I think Natural. more importantly, you have to be passionate about the car because if you buy a car and you're just building it to build it because you think it'll do well, people see through that you have to find that balance of something that the audience is going to, you know, be excited about just as much as you're going to be excited to work on it. And I mean, let's be honest, like it's going to take hours and hours and so much of your time to build these cars. You got to find something that you love. Um, so if the question was, how do I find it? Um, for me, I'm constantly looking to what I can push the boundaries in. Um, and you know, at the time that was a C8 recently picking up the Mustang, I'm hoping to be doing more with that. Um, I just got the new Bronco in, uh, that was a car I didn't mention. That's that, fun. That I also have. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm really excited about it. it it's funny that now I've, I have a couple Fords, but I'm just waiting for my Z06 allocation to come in. So I can start focusing <laughs> on that. Again. Um, but yeah, I'm just constantly trying to find something that is new territory because that's what I love the most about the C8 was I, you know, I was calling the dealership saying, hey, how do I pull this motor? And they're like, they're like, we don't know. We haven't done it before, but we'll print you our service guide on how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and that was fun because it was it was getting to share something with the world that people hadn't gotten the opportunity to see it. And I'm also learning while I'm doing it. The you have a great relationship with General Motors. You just mentioned it. And, and I've talked to several GM executives who are very excited about you being affiliated with their brand. Are you getting a lot of inputs from other car companies right now as well? Uh, inputs how? In terms of wanting you to work on their vehicles. Oh, I mean, totally. And you know, I, I imagine it feeds I, on itself here. It, you know, it does. I feel like everyone is just super excited to, to see what I what I do with everything. I have an incredible relationship with most every OEM. And I, what I'm really most appreciative of is that they, you know, they, they treat me as an equal and they see what I'm doing and everyone is so happy about it because at the end of the day, you know, not just me, but everyone who's working on these cars is, is helping to keep this industry alive um, at such a pivotal time. And, yeah, I mean, from General Motors was was really the start, but you know, I I have incredible relationships with with almost every OEM, and and yeah, I think at the end of the day, regardless of whose car I'm working on, people it, it's it feels weird, but people want to see me succeed and be happy, and I'm so incredibly thankful for that. And the car, the automotive industry, because it's just a bunch of people who love what they're doing, and, and they want to see it live. Yeah, there's passion and excitement there for sure. What do you think you've learned about the automotive business that you didn't anticipate? Oh, that, you know, every every year that and the answer to that question is going to change, right? So mm -hmm. 10 years ago, maybe, I mean, a little more now, I'm starting to, time flies. Um, I, I didn't expect such a supportive industry. 
everyone is family to me. And I know that, you know, it's the generic, oh yeah, you know, go to space for family. Um, but <laughs> I, sorry, Fast and Furious reference there. Yeah, right, another Fast and Furious reference. <laughs> um, but I, if the question is what, what did I learn? I, I learned that it's an industry that, that is very supportive, that people just wanna see others succeed in, which was, you know, at the very, very beginning, it was challenging, you know, and I, I don't want to pull mail card at all. Um, but, you know, there was a period where I almost had to prove myself before I could earn that respect from others. Whereas, you know, a male counterpart would, you know, start based with people assuming they know what they're talking about and they could build from there. Um, and over the, the course of, of this past decade, I've seen the industry shift so much in such a positive way that makes me so excited because at the end of the day, the car doesn't know what gender is behind the wheel. They don't know who's working on it. And and I, I try to see my, I don't push being a female. I, I want to be treated as an equal and I want to provide equal opportunities for, for everyone. And that's definitely the shift I've seen um, over this past decade. That's our brief look back at some personalities this year on Cars and Culture. Thanks for listening. You could follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook, as well as on Instagram at Cars and Culture SXM. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit. We'll see you down the road in 2023. If you're a Springsteen fan, you just found the promised land. Hear rare interviews and performances. Live concerts. Is there anybody else? DJs. This is Rob Lowe. Hey, baby, it's little Steven here. And more exclusives when listening to Bruce Springsteen's channel. Welcome, Bruce Springsteen, to E Street Radio, your home away from home. Great to be here. E Street Radio, Sirius XM Channel 20. Hey, everybody, I'm Andy Cohen. You're me and my awesome lineup on Radio Andy. Andy Cohen Live. Jeff Lewis Live. Smith Sisters Live. Reality Check. Revelations. Now with new shows. Yo King in the house. It's Me Tinks. The Jess Cagle Show. From pop culture, politics, music, to show-stopping moments. Jennifer Lopez. Lil Nas X. Lisa Kudrow. Jay Leno. Ricky Martin. Goldie Hawn. Kevin Hart. I'm bringing oops back. All this on Radio Andy. Sirius XM 102 and on the SXM app. Do you have concerns about your heart health? Yeah. We've got a doc for that. Huh. Have questions about men's health, women's health, and everyday health? Sure. We've got a doc for that. Really? Interested in improving your exercise and eating routine? Yeah. We've got a doc for that. Hmm. A nurse practitioner and a registered dietitian, too. Wow. Sirius XM's Doctor Radio. Your access to top doctors and health professionals every day. No copay, no appointment necessary. Huh. Sirius XM 110. Who knew? Hey, this is Karen Hunter, and at Urban View, we have a family of tough people. We are about making change. Who are willing to not just work, but to have a vision. We demand that the people take action. Use their power to make change. That's what really Urban View and the Madison Show is all about. We invite you and we challenge you to create the world you want to live in. It's not your typical talk channel. Urban View, Sirius XM 126.